0: All right, Luke chapter 1 in your Bibles, as so we pick it up once again on Sunday mornings. You guys doing okay this morning? It's gotten a little warm outside. Anybody got the memo? It's summer's here. A little bit? Almost? All right. Luke chapter 1. I want to speak to you on this uh, subject this morning, uh, on Speechless. We're going to look at the story of Zacharias, um, Zachariah, and uh, his wife, Elizabeth and the uh, foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist. Now, before we before we get into this, we need to kind of lay some historical groundwork. I don't know if you've ever been in the situations where you've walked into someone else's conversation halfway through. Anybody ever been there? Right? Like, like, like you you know you, you've got two people and, they, and they're talking, and you come in, and, and at the point of your entry into the conversation. You conclude something's really wrong when it's really not. Or you conclude that they're talking about this issue when they're totally not. They're talking about a completely different issue. So the first phrase there in verse 5 is pregnant with meaning. Notice what it says. uh, In the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now just right off of the, the launch pad here. Um, we know some things in the Bible and from history about this guy, Herod. Uh, he ruled the area from about 37 uh, B.C. Um, to about 4 uh, A.D. And this guy was an absolute psychopath. Like, if you've ever uh, thought of a bipolar, psychotic person in history, Herod would probably be number one. Uh, a famous Roman said of Herod, it's better to be his hoose than his huyas. Uh It's better to be his pig than his son." Now, why would somebody say that? Unless you know somebody has a pet, pet pig. I remember going up to somebody's house to visit them, and, uh, and they had a pig in the front yard. And I said, you've got a pig in your front yard. And they said, that's our, our pet. And I was like, that's, that's interesting. But why would it be better to be his pig than his son? All right, some of you have had rough dads. Let's just, let's just, 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 just honest, all right? Some of you have had rough dads that have not given affirmation, that have been brutal uh, verbally, emotionally, even physically towards you. Here's how bad it was for Herod. He killed like had special force assassins kill a number of his sons. Like, not discipline, not torture, actually kill them, and then his favorite wife, quote unquote, one day he thought that she was cheating on him, he had her murdered, and then, this is, this is, this is history, right? He had her put into kind of this this uh, box that was filled with honey to preserve to preserve her body, and he would go there basically every day and talk to her about how sorry he was. This was the same guy, the same Herod, right when the magi came right the guy 's from the east, they saw the star and they 're like something 's going down there 's a special kid being born here. They come and they go before Herod, and Herod says, "Well, tell me where the child." will be born and tell me when and where you find him so that I may go and worship also. A little bit of biblical history. Did Herod really want to go worship also? No, he wanted to kill the baby Jesus because he saw the baby Jesus as a rival to his throne. Herod was an absolute tyrant. Like, tyrant extraordinaire. And it says, notice what the Bible says. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, notice the next phrase. There was a priest named Zechariah. So right off of the starting point, you've got this, this, this hugely powerful ruler who anybody who he doesn't like, he kills, right? He doesn't fire him. He doesn't excommunicate him. He just kills him. And then you've got a little guy of the Jewish nation, and his name is Zacharias. So, also before this time, when the New Testament opens up, there had been 400 years between the last book in the Old Testament and the first coming of this event here. So, basically what you've got is you've got 400 years of no prophets. Man, that's like 400 years of deadness for Israel. And during this time, you've got groups like the Pharisees that came together and started reinterpreting the Bible to make it a a, a set of rules that you've got to keep in order to become a righteous person. They had twisted the law. You've got a corrupt priesthood as well. Um, History tells us that a lot of the the leaders in the Jewish um, religious system were very, very, very corrupt. So you've got a tyrant who kills everybody he doesn't like, and then you've got this little man who's a priest named Zacharias, and he has a wife who's also from, uh, she's from the line of Aaron there in verse 5. So, number one here, there's going to be several scenes that we're going to look at. First off, we see that faithful service to God and disappointing results. Notice that he had continued to serve God. His wife there in verse 6, notice what the description is, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But, verse 7, they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So here you've got a stark contrast of a tyrant who seems to be prevailing, right? Business seems to be going well for him. He had built a huge temple there. He had built all sorts of stuff. And you've got this little family that had gone through heartache, and in that day and time, ladies, if you didn't have a child, that was like the number one shaming thing. If we were to look back in the pages of the Old Testament, there was a lady named Hannah. Hannah. And she wanted a child so, uh, so much. And the ladies there, um, they would actually make fun of her and make jokes about her. And she wanted a, she wanted a, a child and she wanted a son. And she went to her, her husband, Elkanah, and she said, basically, why can't I have a son? And guys, he made a big mistake. He was not sensitive at all. You know what he said? He says, am I not better for you than ten sons? Epic fail, Right? Like she's wanting a son she doesn't know like why is this happening? you know we don't know if he like if he flexed you know or if he like pulled out his checkbook like am I not the man? am I not better for you than ten sons But she prayed, and then she went to the temple and she was in such passionate prayer that she knelt down and the Bible says that her lips were moving, but she was praying in her heart, and then there's this moron of a priest named Eli who his heart was so far away from from really from loving. God. It was kind of a thing that he did. He came and guess what he thought she was? He thought she was drunk. So he came in and he basically said, put up the bottle. And she responds in humility and expresses her desire for God to hear her prayer and to answer it with giving her a son. And God does. And his name is Samuel. Samuel is the leader, the one of the greatest leaders in all of Israel. The Bible says that God established the work of his hands and did not let one word of his mouth fall to the ground. And in fact, it was Samuel, right, that anointed David. So the guy that, that, that kind of uh, christened and, and instituted, gave the thumbs up to David, was prayed for by a woman who had no children, and God gave her the answer to our prayer. So here you've got this picture of brokenness, this older couple, and they wanted children, but they just couldn't have any. So it begins with absolute humility. And Jesus also, when you think about this, Jesus was born in humble circumstances, wasn't he? Right? Right? And just a stall with animals. It wasn't in the palace. And I think about this. You know, um, when God comes to work in our lives, we have to be humble. Amen, church. Amen. If God is going to truly do a, a, an incredible work here, God's already done an amazing work. But to do one that is renowned through Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we can't. It, it's kind of like this. Um, sometimes we come to God and we say, God, I want you to work in my life. I've got these issues. I need help. I need you, Jesus. But it's kind of like we're asking God to come build a, an addition onto an old rickety house that's about to fall over. Right? Now, no good builder is going to come to a house to where it's got termite damage and it's got, I mean, the roof has fallen in, everything is just totally messed up. He's going to say what you need to do, and I mean you can you can in the winter you've got the 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 wind and, and the snow coming through, it leaks. He's like, what you need to do is just knock it down and start from scratch. And I believe what you have right here is a picture of humility. And what God has to do in our lives often, often is to start from the bottom up, to tear down what we previously thought was life, and he begins to build something back um, from the bottom. And so you've got there in verse number 8, notice what he's doing. Yeah, the story progresses. Now, he was while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, it's kind of a mouthful, isn't it? You know what that means? He's doing the same thing that he normally did. He was trying to serve God in the best of his ability, He was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So what you have right here, they would cast a lot and they would choose, and whichever one drew the longest lot, they would actually go into the temple. So he does. Now here's the question. Was that random? No, because we're about to see that God had a specific appointment for him to be at. So, have you ever been to that place in your life, that chapter in your life, to where it seems like things are somewhat, a little bit, not right? Anybody? Like, the world is not right, okay? America has problems. Can I get a witness? Alright? We've got problems in Virginia, problems in Franklin County, problems in Rocky Mountain. We have problems. And the only person that you need to really watch your wallet with is a person who says, I have no problems, I'm perfect. Right? Run for your life. The world is messed up. And so, what you have here is is this seemingly random event, but God is in control. So, notice what happens there in verse 11. And there appeared to him this is where it really gets good. Somebody help me out. Who shows up? Angel of the Lord standing. Oh, my goodness. He's in the temple. He's doing what he always did, and an angel shows up. That's exactly what I thought. So what, Jeff? This is the Bible. Angels do that type of thing in the Bible, right? Like, if you read the Bible, angels show up, great things happen, big deal. Um, just a little bit of, of, of information about an angel. I want to talk about this. Some people today say that they have seen angels, all right? How do you know if it's an angel? An angel. Very quickly, throughout the Bible, notice his reaction um, in verse 12. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Throughout the Bible, whenever a real angel shows up, the people think they're going to die. They're in great fear. They fall on their face. Um, the Roman soldiers were so afraid when, Right when, when the, the angels came there to when Jesus was resurrected and came to life again. They fell down as if dead. You know, we hear sometimes today when people say that we saw an angel, they're like, yeah, our, our angel comes to our house and we, you know, we've got a little angel room for it. We've got a little pedestal that it sits up on and we, we feed it angel food cake, you know, and, and we've got our, 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 our official angel and it talks to us and, and it sits down on this, this place and we pet it, you know, and it makes little angel noises to us and it's our angel. Whatever that is, it's not an angel. Y'all alright? because what we've got here's the thing like sometimes people get offended at stuff like that i'm not you know what here's the thing god can use different methods all right god is not limited to what we think that he's limited to within 11 to 12 o'clock on sunday all right y'all okay put god in a box but we've got to stick with what the bible says angels actually actually are um you think about the phrase, great fear fell upon him. This is hard for us because we're in the West and we're in um, the 21st century. But think of it like this. The last time that you had an absolute freak out. You in there with me? The last time someone scared you. I remember back, uh, we, we had a camp out one time and, and we, were, we were camping there. We didn't have a campfire very big and one of the guys had a gorilla costume. All right? And one guy said he was going to start telling scary stories. We were in middle school and, you know, it was one of those things that we weren't able to go very far. And, and, and it, was, it was in Louisiana, right? So you still got the, the swamp people factor. How many of y'all watch swamp people, by the way? Anybody in here? Okay, if you honest people, I don't need the subtitles because I was raised there. I'm like, right on. This is, this isn't normal. So um, this guy, he went back and he got the he got the monkey suit on. And this one guy's, we're all around the campfire and he's telling scary stories. And you're like, all these middle school dudes are leaning in, trying to act like we're not, you know, scared, but we really are. And then out of the bushes, he made some like. His you know, voice change, 7th, 8th grader, growl, pitch sound, and just came crashing through the bushes like that. And my brother Josh, you can ask him. I will give you his number. He will confess to this. Flipped over backwards onto the log. It was like a sitting backflip. No joke. Freaked out. Imagine if you were in a dark alley and something like that happened to you. You would be scared. What if you were in a dark alley and you had maybe some guy who looked like Hulk Hogan in his prime, right? Hulkster in heaven. Hulk Hogan the wrestling boot band. Hulk Hogan in the 80s. Some guy who looked like him and looked like they really wanted to hurt you. You might be afraid, but at least you know that that's a man, Right? If you can find a pipe, you can hit him in the head. If he comes too close, you can hit him in the throat. I should probably stop right now because you're like, Jeff, that's way too violent. If it's a man, you know that he can be defeated even if he's a strong, strong man. But if you're talking about an angel of the Lord... That every time through Scripture, strong men—not an old priest, like strong warriors—even John, in the book of Revelation, he fell down. And actually, if you want to write this down, it's in chapter nineteen, verse ten. He fell down, and he almost—he like he was going to worship the angel. And this also happens in Revelation chapter 22, verse 9. Like he's there, the angel gives him the revelation, he falls down, and, and this is John. John was with Jesus, right? John received revelation from God. John was actually there watching Jesus crucified. And John saw Jesus risen from the dead. So John's not like some dude out there um, trying to like, hug trees and worship the ground. But think about this, if these angels are so overwhelmingly magnificent and powerful and shocking that it causes John, the apostle, to fall down and literally say, I don't know what to do other than almost worship this angel, then how magnificent and powerful must God be? Let that sink in. That when we see phrases like this in the Bible, that great fear fell upon him, it means that he was totally blown away. And even if that's not scary enough, notice what happens in verse 13. The angel knows who he is. Do do not be afraid, Zechariah. And at that point, if you had not freaked out, you're like, it knows my name. Four, And this is where it's so cool. For your prayer has been heard. What prayer? There wasn't a prayer mentioned in the opening sentences of Luke. You know what? There are many prayers that sometimes we don't think that God remembers and we think that He's forgotten, that God will say, if you continue to seek after me, I will bring the fulfillment. Notice, and your wife Elizabeth, here is the prayer, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, imagine, and I'm not going to put an age limit on this because I don't want to get, I don't mind people getting mad um, if we preach the word or things like that, but I don't want to call people old if they don't think they're old because there are some people that are old but they don't think they're old and there are some people who are not old that think they're old. So uh, if you imagine that whatever age that you think is officially old, right? When I was a high schooler, I thought like 25, bro, you are ancient. Now that I'm 30, I'm like 25, you're rocking it out, you know, got it going on. And so, you think about being an old man, you're there in the temple, and this angel shows up, great fear falls upon you, and then he says, your name, and I've heard your prayer, your wife, who is also old, will bear a son. And you will call his name John. And notice what John's going to do here. Verse 14, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at His birth. So probably what was happening here is He was praying for a son, but not just give me a son, but give me a son who will rock Israel for God. Notice what He will do. Um, Verse 15, For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So this is basically what happened. Even when John the Baptist was in the womb, the Holy Spirit came and the Bible says the Holy Spirit filled him. Now that is a problem for your theology only if you think that we're the ones who have a part in saving ourselves. The Bible says that salvation is of the Lord. It is by grace um, and by grace alone. Now some of you, right here, Um, let Let me just stop for a minute. There are some of you who have prayed for lost family members for years. There are some of you and you have had this burden. You say, God, I don't know why my life has been going in this direction. Why did my kids have to be that stupid? God, why, why, why is it that, that it's like I was born in this family in this time and I was exposed to these kinds of people who did these things to me? Why couldn't God, I don't understand why you couldn't have changed the scenario if you are all powerful and if you are all loving. Why couldn't you have just tweaked your cosmic plan just a hair and given me a better life. I want to encourage you not for, for some vain platitude, but according to the word of God. This must have filled, I mean this this is an incredible fulfillment here that some of you have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. You say, God, I don't even know if you're hearing me. Continue to pray. And God, listen, if it is, God it always works everything together for good. We see right here that in the last half of the fourth quarter of Zachariah's and Elizabeth's life, God interrupts the game, scores the winning three-point shot for them. Don't give up. I want you to write down a scripture reference that will encourage you in this area. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Hebrews 4.16 says, and I love this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's a good word, isn't it, church? To come with confidence. With confidence and draw near. I love, I love kids, alright? Um, I, I think that, that, that Jesus, you, know, you see the little children, He said, let them come to Me. And I love kids. And, and one thing I look, love um, observing with little kids especially is how you've got a little boy or a little girl and they see their dad and they go run into the arms of their dad. Notice that the child, unless they've been taught properly and, and the dad is talking to someone, they've been taught not to just run in and interrupt, to so stand there and, and kind of you know pull in his coat or just stay there until he has time to answer their question, but they don't sit there and, 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 and formulate a theological treatise on is it possible for me to come to my father to talk. They don't do that. They simply And throughout the Scripture, you see God as the Father pursuing us and bringing us close to Him. So if you're here, man, I don't care what has happened, the the confidence that you have through the Word of God is let us, once again, with confidence, draw near, come together, approach to be with the throne of God. Now that's amazing that that the throne of grace, that we can approach that with confidence. And notice that the confidence does not come from what we know. It doesn't come from what we've done. It comes from who He is. That He extends His hand of grace because He alone is good and says, come to me. See, now Jeff, hold on just a second. You're, you're saying... Now, 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 now back up, Jeff. In verse number 13, you said his prayer has been heard. And so, so, so this angel, who later reveals himself as uh, Gabriel comes and he says, he gives this revelation to Zechariah. I thought that just a few verses ago over in verse number nine that he was chosen by Lot. Is that random? There, there, there are two ways to look at the sovereignty of God and, and the responsibility of, of us to obey him. One would be fatalism. This is not biblical. One would be like this. You know what? God has it all figured out, so I don't have to do anything, right? I don't need to go on a mission trip. I don't need to share the Gospel. I don't need to do anything. Well, that's an unbiblical approach because God told us to do those things to follow Him and love Him. Another one would be man-centered, which means that if I don't get it done, God's not going to get it done. you ever heard the, the phrase um, God helps those who help themselves? Um, just a little news flash, that's not biblical. The fact of the Bible is time after time After time, God comes to help those who could not help themselves. And when we look at the grace of Christ, we see that there's no way that we could get to Him by doing. Amen, church? And it's only by His grace that we can be brought into a relationship with Him. So then, notice what happens here. After all of this stuff, and He he says also in, in verse number 16, and He will turn many of the children of Israel to their God to the Lord their God, and He will go before them in the Spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their the fathers to the children and the disobedient of, to the wisdom of the just. And check this out, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Before we meet Jesus, we've got to be prepared. The question is, where is our heart? Right? Is our heart ready to receive the Lord, and and that is actually um, when you see the quotation there in verse seventeen. If you turn with me to the last book in the Old Testament, <clears throat> um, before the book of Matthew, that's actually a verbatim quote um, of the last verse there um, in the Old Testament. Zechariah and. Um, Malachi. Notice Malachi chapter 4 verse 6. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction or lest I strike the land as a curse. So this is the fulfillment. 400 years God is saying, look, what I'm going to do is turn the families back towards themselves to love one another instead of hate one another. So this is a fulfillment. 400 years of silence. And then you see it fit together. Actually, Romans chapter ten, verse twenty-one says, "But of Israel he says, all day long I have held out. I have held out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. There's got to be something prepared. And for those of you who are in the medical field, you know sometimes if someone experiences a break of an arm or something like that, it has to be reset. The squeamish people don't go out on me here. It has to be reset." Properly, And if it's not been set after it's first been broken, then you're going to have to get it, help me out, reset. And if you have a PC, sometimes you have to have your personal computer to be what? Have to have it reset. There's a huge concept here that when he says he will make ready for the Lord a people prepared, literally what he's saying is he's got to get the people prepared. That's deep, isn't it? Right? Then we just come full circle. But here's the thing that some of us gloss over. Some people think that they're ready for Jesus. Okay, we're ready for Jesus when we're ready to give Him everything that we are. Amen? It's, it's not like I'm going to have my Sunday morning Jesus and the rest of the week me. It's I'm ready to prepare the people for Jesus. And remember the message that John the Baptist preached. It was that really popular message that people love to hear today. They're like, please tell me more, man. I love feeling that way. He said, what? The R word? re Help me out repent repent because before we turn to Christ in faith we have to turn away from what we've previously put our faith in so notice how he responds to this in verse 18 how shall I know this This Notice what he says how shall I know this in other words prove it to me for I'm an old man and my wife by the way guys he is a little bit wise here because notice he doesn't call his wife old or ancient but he says my wife is what? Advanced in years. She is chronologically mature, y'all all right? You know he's thinking he's like, man, if my wife I, I, I'm I'm old and she's advanced in years and she's going to get pregnant, that means to the local supermarket I'm going to be making Vinat runs for guacamole and peanut butter. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to do this. We're going to have a little toddler running around. I know I've prayed for it, but I think this is funny because have you ever been to that place in your life to where you ask God for something and then when he gives it to you, you're like, okay, I'm not sure that I'm excited that God has actually given me what I've prayed for, right? Right? Let's just break this down for a minute. I know a lot of folks in local churches, they pray this. They say, God, would you help our church to grow? And if you pray that, praise God for you. But here's where it gets real sticky. Is that often the methods that God uses to answer those prayers are not the methods that those praying the prayer are comfortable with. Let me give you an example. Different style of preaching. Preaching. Y'all okay? For some of you, um, and we've talked about this with uh, some of our leaders, using some new music, not scrapping what we do. Let me ask you a question. Those of you who have lost children and lost grandchildren, we're not saying that we're, we're utilitarians or we're pragmatists to say that the end justifies the means. That's unbiblical. But I just want to pose a hypothetical to you, all right? If God were to use new methods, not a new message, all right we don 't change this, but the way in which pre- we, we, the way in which we present it may change. If God uses and chooses to use something that you may have not been exposed to before, are you willing to change so that your children and your grandchildren can be reached or are you unwilling to change and to say basically what Zechariah was saying? He was saying, Prove it to me. In other words, God, I want you to fit within this box. And that's a hard issue. Amen? Right? I cannot make that call for you guys. That's something that we as a corporately, as a church, have to get before the Lord and say, What is true um, and how do we go about that? It's pretty tense in here right now. I'm just going to go ahead and move on. Y'all okay? All right? Somebody? All right. Thanks, Joseph. You're good, man. Now notice the gracious response of the angel. After you have this little man, we don't know his physical makeup, but I don't know many old men, right, that are repping 400 on the bench. So we, he may have been feeble, maybe not. We're not really sure. But notice when he says to this angel, how can I know this? Gabriel says, verse 19, I I am Gabriel. Right there, that would have sent shockwaves through Zechariah because he would have known who Gabriel was. Then Gabriel says, Number two, all right, first, I'm Gabriel. Secondly, I stand in the presence of God. Third, I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. So he's Gabriel and he's there with God. The Bible says that no man can stand before God, the the um, unmitigated glory of God, and even live. And yet Gabriel says, I'm in the presence of God and I was sent here to give you this message. Now notice what happens. He says, um, "And." Verse 20, And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe My words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So during this time, verse 21, everybody's wondering what's up. Like he's taking way too long. Somebody's wondering. You know, they're they're praying. Somebody leans over. It's like, did his pacemaker misfire? We don't know what happened. He's there in the temple, and he walks out, and he doesn't say Anything not because he doesn 't want to, but because he can 't, he is mute and in fact, if you were to go over to I believe it 's verse um, in the first chapter, we see over in verse uh, verses fifty seven through 66, when John is actually born, they made signs to him. So what probably happened as well is they gave him obviously a pad to write on, but they made signs. You make signs to a deaf person. Here's the application. This is so huge. Some of us say that we want God to speak to us, but when He does, we're not sure if we believe Him. So you know what happened? Gabriel said, and this is a very merciful sentence, all right? In the Old Testament, usually when things like this happened and people would like blaspheme God, um, people died, all right? Angels kill people in the Bible. This was a gracious sentence to say, you know what? I'm going to close your mouth and I'm going to close your ears until you see. And that's significant. You know why that's significant? Because often we're really good at listening to the Word of God. And we're sometimes very good at even explaining the Word of God. But sometimes God says, you just need to see Me work. And then you've got verse 24. This is so awesome. This is Elizabeth's response. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, so it's like a little secret pregnancy here, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when He looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. You see that difference? You see Zechariah coming and saying, God, I want You to prove to me how You're going to do this. And Elizabeth simply, what she does instead of trying to squeeze God into a box, she simply steps back and accepts His blessing. Amen, church? And for some of us, when we ask God to bless us, we may not know exactly what that blessing may look like. But here you have the story of a contrast between a powerful tyrant and a humble little couple, but God's grace works through the couple. And many of us here today, we've got things we say, God, I wish I was stronger in this area. I wish that I could do better in studying Your Word. God, I wish that I was smarter so I could retain more biblical knowledge. And the Holy Spirit says that your, My strength is made perfect in Your weakness. Let us approach boldly to the throne of grace. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. So we come to this time of invitation. If you're here and, man, you you have prayed, you have fasted, you've asked God to bring a breakthrough in your life or your family's life, but it hasn't happened yet, just right now say, Lord, please encourage me. Help me to continue to pray. Don't give up. Approach the throne today, right now. Just continue to ask the Lord and He will bring deliverance. And for those, and you've been saved, and you say, man, Jeff, I God has delivered me. He's, he's done an awesome work in my life. I need, to just, I need to get baptized. I need to join the church. I want to make this uh, public, official. I want to just let everybody know that I am for Jesus, and He's done a work in my life. We're going to ask, uh, when we begin to stand and sing, Here in just a few moments, don't delay. Just get up out of your seat and come forward. And by doing that, you know that you're not saving yourself by walking down, but you're letting everyone here and the Lord know that I am 100% in with Jesus. If you're here and you have been saved and you've been baptized, but you know that this is the place that you need to join, we ask you to come if that's what the Holy Spirit tells your heart. Father, we ask that you would take this time and use it to your glory and you would help those that um, need to make commitments for you to do so.